beautiful soul. Have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go to my website homepage, theangelmedium.com and sign up for my weekly angel message email. As a gift for signing up, I'm giving you access to free resources, including 31 healing meditations that if you do daily are going to help you hear your angels and your own intuition more clearly. Start using these today and you'll see changes in 31 days. Now, take a deep breath. Feel the presence of your angels as they fill you with love, joy, peace, bliss, and ease. And remember, your angels say the messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis, and we have a very special treat for you today. We're here with Dr. Kristen Lee. She is the author of this book right here, Worth the Risk. And the subtitle here is How to Microdose Bravery to Grow Resilience, Connect More, and Offer Yourself to the World, which I just, I love that subtitle. Dr. Chris, thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you for having me, Julie. Oh, of course. So I'm going to dive in here. I went through the book and I just wrote down a bunch of questions. The first one is, do you believe a human soul has to know their purpose, direction, vision before they can begin microdosing bravery? Oh, I love that that initial question. Thank you for that, Julie. I, I think that we all, you know, getting the clarity around our purpose and our values and our alignment of our soul is such an important part because it does help direct us then to discover which kinds of risks are worth taking, uh, what helps us to elevate our values and our purpose and our impact in the world. Um, It really gives a lot of clarity. So I think it's important, but I would also caution that sometimes we can think in very grand terms of like, it all has to coalesce and be this really big thing. So I would just encourage everyone that might not be all the way sure and you're in your process of trying to get greater clarity, that as long as you, you know, have a sense, oftentimes then those actions you take can lead you to greater clarity, of course. Yeah. Let me ask you this. In your life, Dr. Chris, how have you stepped more and more into your own intuition, your own inner wisdom and hearing that? What did that look like for you? I I think I had to do some unlearning. And I think specifically what I mean by that is that I've often wondered, like, how do you tell the difference between intuition and anxiety, right? Many of us who are empathic or deeply intuitive or really want to bring our full selves to the world, we're very conscientious. And sometimes that really works well for us on a given day. And other times we can be marinating in anxiety and just feel a lot of trepidation. So I know I had to do some work to discover more around, you know, listening to that inner voice and listening to that, that deeper part of myself versus just sort of like getting pulled along by the strings of the world that tell us we have to be a certain way or fit into a certain mold or that success is so narrowly defined. So I think that for me, I had to just come to terms with some of this anxiety as both a strength and a struggle. 
yeah. uh, and one that could allow me to, you know, be real with um, who I am and then, you know, bring that forth into the world in a more bold way over time. Yeah. Now, Dr. Chris, do you work with clients? Like, how do you um, like work one-on-one -on -one with people? And where I'm going with this question is, as I work one-on-one -on -one with clients, mm -hmm. there are a small handful who will say, but what if I don't have any purpose? But mm -hmm. what if mm -hmm. I don't, or, or if they know that they do have purpose, I can't. Like, I can't go out and do this. It's too much. It's too big. Mm -hmm. I love your idea of microdosing bravery because if you take bravery in these miniature bite-sized pieces, mm -hmm. You're not looking at your entire life purpose saying, oh my gosh, I got to do this big thing or I have to go out and achieve this. It's just one step at a time. And yeah. as I've gotten to know business too and gotten to meet different entrepreneurs and business owners, that's how business works as well. Yeah, it's right. just one step at a time in a focused direction. That's right. That's right. And I think what you're speaking to, like, we need that measure of agility or fluidity because we could sort of have like an idea coalesce in our mind's eye, but then we have to get out and grapple with life and interface with all the fluctuation of life to make those ongoing discoveries. And like you, you know, I served clients and patients for many years in psychotherapy. Uh, right now I teach full time. So with my students, um, they often ask those questions. They're really working to identify who they are and where they want to bring impact in the world and what their disciplines will be and, you know, all those big questions. And then I also have the opportunity, my clients are companies around the world who are really looking to try to foster healthy mental health cultures and the kinds of conditions that breed psychological safety and trust and help human beings flourish. So in all of those different ways in which I'm interacting, I do think that there is this sort of notion in our culture, like the more is more culture and we have to like have all of it figured out all in one felt swoop or that it has to be this like poetic, you know, identity. And I think it just takes time to make those discoveries. And I think that's so much of what I discovered in, in writing this and in living my life during this moment in time where we are marinating in trauma and there's unprecedented challenges and opportunities. You know, it's a moment of reckoning. And I think in that, even though it can be uncomfortable, um, as we get more comfortable with the uncomfortable, you know, that's where the magic happens. And that's where we can unlock a lot of struggles that we face as a species. A hundred percent. And really what I got a lot out of your book is we're all these evolutionary beings. We know this. And we we are just kind of unfolding one day, week, month at a time. But microdosing bravery is about keeping yourself, your person in safety and security in your own truth, allowing yourself to unfold at your own pace instead of maybe this rush timeline. Yes, indeed. I think by the time a child loses their first tooth, they have to know which top tier college they're going to. <laughs> By the time they're in third grade, if they're not reading three grade levels ahead, it's problematic. By the time they're in high school, they must be taking like 17 AP classes and co-curriculars. 
And by the time we're in our 20s, if we don't have our own nonprofit or startup, then we're an epic failure. So I think just even like for all of us to have a more measured approach, like to understand that if something makes us sick, like going after these metrics of success. Um, and in the book, you know, I talk about the, um, the grueling treadmill club and sort of like getting locked in at this steep incline and fast pace. And it seems That's like my this next question. Yes, yes. let's See? go here. Our intuition is fully in sync. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so my next question is, how do we microdose bravery yet not step on the rat race treadmill of a culture of excessive achievement, overdoing hyper competitiveness? It's the, I think it's the question everyone's like trying to figure out. I think whether individuals or the companies and the institutions in which we participate, it's like how do we seize this moment of opportunity? How do we strive for rigor and excellence? And like, what's the difference between being a healthy achiever versus an unhealthy overachiever? And I think that framing, that can be a beginning point of reflection and redirection, Sure. you know, to say, I want to stay and do well and also contribute in the world. So, you know, one of your first questions was about, this discovery process of purpose, right? Yeah. And how that plays out in your, your support of your clients and all the amazing work you do publicly. I would just say that I think if we know that we want to be conscious citizens in the world and bring about positive influence, like, you know, to share love, like let the good things be contagious, right? So, so many of the bad things are contagious, right? If we want that, then we can make discoveries around how do we stop thinking we're human doings, not human beings? And how do we also then be the things we want from the world? So like, I talk a lot about, you know, being love. Like if you are on the, the search for this like romanticized relationship partner and you're lonely, like so many of us are these days and you feel so like distraught, it can, the microdose could be just starting by like offering more gesturing, loving um, offerings to the world, you know, or if you're looking for like well-being, then like, how do you start nurturing yourself in new ways, right? And so I think that there's just a lot we have to be aware of in this messaging of so-called success that can oftentimes be an illusion, well, and, and I think it's compounded right now by people seeing folks on social media, some folks who are just getting into running their own business, they've been doing it a year or two, and they've, they're kind of talking their business up bigger than it really is. There's a lot of kind of sneaky egoic mind coming into social media where you could look at somebody, see that or feel like they have it all together, but they really don't. And they really don't know exactly what they're talking about. One of the ways that I see this happening right now is a lot of folks within the spiritual realm on Instagram and different places will say, you don't have to work so hard to get where you're going. You don't have to work so hard. Don't even call it work, you know, to get where you're going. And these are the folks who have teams of 15, 20, 40 people who are working for them. And those teams are their manpower. So those teams are providing 40 hours a week of 40 hours times 10 people or 40 hours times 20 people. And so some folks on Instagram are saying, 
don't work so hard. Yet they worked to get where they are. And now they have the funds to hire this manpower behind them. And it's like, what lies are we spouting out here? And what unrealistic expectations are we setting up for people? That's not fair. No, that can really sabotage someone. I love that you're illuminating this because I think we all fall prey to it on our feeds. It's in like, in my book, I talk about social comparison, unhealthy versus healthy. But if we are comparing ourselves to the, like, we don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes or like to your point, someone's real, like long-term investment in their operations. And then they meet, they, they reach a certain, you know, plateau and they're able to then have, like you said, that power behind them. They can really um, give a message that, you know, can really, I think, lead someone to a lot of inner distress. So I think that that point, just everyone that's listening, like to really reflect on that, that what we see isn't what we get. And that also, um, in a similar way, just like there can be a lot of unhelpful and erroneous information with spiritual communities and leaders, that can also happen with pop psychology. And luckily, like people are calling it the toxic positivity but like even I, I have like kind of wild fascination with the whole entrepreneurial culture. Like, you know, don't work. Like it's almost like taboo to think you have to work or like if you're really spiritual, like you don't have to, you just let the universe like do everything. And <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not, not convinced, <laughs> it's, I'm not convinced on that either. So I think it is important for all of us as we, you know, remember a feed, think of the word feed. We are are we getting our nourishment from that? Or are we recognizing with our mind's eye, with a critical thinking lens, with a deeper sensing that these kinds of things that are coming at us aren't telling a true story and that they can be harmful. And then also, I'm sure you do this in, in your amazing work is like, it's incumbent upon you as a thought leader in this space. And I think about my own role and my positions in the world and how to not contribute to that. And I think there can be a lot of paradoxes and contradictions any of us can fall into, myself included, when we share of ourselves and we're trying to get our message out in the world. How do we do in a way where we're really showing the duality of our humanity? That on one hand, we could be very successful and accomplished and you could have all these downloads on the podcast. And and then, you know, and I think for myself, you know, I have like books and lots of things. But then I also at the same time feel like a hot mess half the time. And like all are true. And that's just shared humanity. It's not um, like a moral failing on on one's part when that's the truth, because that's just our shared experience. That is. And, and when you say shared experience, it's that every single human being who's going through this journey shares this experience of, to your point, um, having it like feeling like you have it half together the way that you want it to be. And then half is a hot mess, which is really interesting because I started to awaken to this about seven years ago, where I have a lot of friends who are therapists and counselors, and I've seen them work through some imposter syndrome of Mm -hmm. how am I here helping other people? when my life isn't 100% perfect itself. And, and I'm so glad that as a collective humanity, we're coming to this point of nobody's perfect. 
no, no person who does spiritual work, no um, counselor, no therapist, no, even the people who are, you know, these amazing presidents and CEOs that I get to work with, they feel the exact same way all the time. I actually saw a TikTok or Instagram reel the other day that said it was um, from an Olympic athlete. And she said that she learned this from a, another Olympic athlete that was training her that in your journey of whatever you're doing, if a third of the time you feel amazing, like this is so fun, you so feel so filled with joy, a third of the time you kind of feel like, okay, you know, like not bad, not good. Um, and then a third of the time you kind of just feel like, I don't know exactly, right? I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, that's a hot mess sector. Um, <laughs> and that's as good as it gets. And I was like, that is what we need to be sharing because that's a hundred percent spot on. Right. Yeah. It's all about that management of expectations. And again, if like everyone can curate themselves and create these illusions of like glamour, it's just, it's not like that. Even like, um, I think about relationship propaganda, as I might call it, I might call it like wifey propaganda, yeah. and it, you know, it's just like, oh, everything's great and everything's perfect. And like our family stuff. And it's like, we know that like within all these realms, our professional, our personal spheres, like there's so much happening all at the same time. Those are the paradoxes of life. So I think just all of us, like raising our consciousness in this area, but then again, like how do we challenge that thoughtfully and strategically? And like you said, that's a great, that's so sticky, one third, right? And because otherwise it's what's being sold is it's a hundred percent, it's all in, it's all glamour, it's all glitz. Right. And I think that becomes very erosive. Or that you're supposed to be happy a hundred percent of the time. Sure. Three quick announcements. Our new kids podcast begins January 1st. If your child would like to be on the show to ask me a question, share a spiritual encounter, or talk about their gifts, message me on Instagram at Angel Podcast. Also, it's not too late to take my new course with brand new content called Find Your Purpose in 30 Days. Find the clarity, direction, and roadmap you've been searching for in my brand new course, Find Your Purpose in 30 Days. Sign up today at theangelmedium.com. Lastly, the winner of this month's free reading with me is in the show notes. Leave a five-star positive review of my podcast or book, and you could be next month's winner. My listeners know here that as I was kind of coming into accepting my gifts, I had a spirit, like a, a mental breakdown and did some time in an inpatient and then outpatient program. And the very first day, I've never talked about this on the podcast, but the very first day that I was in this inpatient program, they said, they said, we're going to show this movie. And this movie or documentary was all about how we think that we're supposed to be happy 100% mm. of the time. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. That we're not like happiness okay. is not 100% of the time. And that was the first time that it clicked for me. I had never thought about that before. Mm. Until seeing that movie or documentary, I just always 
thought I was bad or wrong for not being happy 100% mm. of the time. Mm. I just want to applaud your courage and your candor too. And I think it's an example of microdosing bravery because you obviously have such a beautiful community that you've co-created, right? And you, you've shared so much of yourself and then to take that next step. And I think that that is so healing for anyone listening who's had similar experiences. I know, um, you know, from my writing that I, I speak very candidly as a therapist and as a behavior science expert that I also have a deep lived experience with anxiety and depression. And what I would say, you know, in your specific example, to watch that powerful documentary and to have that epiphany of we're not necessarily supposed to be happy all the time, because in our culture, in, in cultures across the world, really, there's just a lot of um, misinformation. And so it's not wrong to have dark emotions or to experience proportionate reactions to the world. I think anyone in human work and healing work, right? The reason we're drawn to it is because of our own grapplings and our own desires to, and our, our recognition of interbeingness and wanting to bring our full selves in. Um, and in that, our empathy often came through our own pain and our own distress mm-hmm. and trauma. Um, so I think it's really beautiful that you reveal that. And I think for anyone listening, just remembering, you know, and so much amazing research is out there like um, around happiness. And it really comes back around to your initial question around purpose. Research really shows that when we are striving to live a life of meaning, so it's like personal growth, but also for the sake of social change and social impact, not just to like evolve and elevate ourselves and like be enlightened. It's not for that. It's about like, then how do we liberate ourselves and one another from all these things that hold us hostage? You know, when we look at the rates of anxiety and depression and distress, it's escalating and escalating. And I think, again, if we can come back to ourselves and know we as a species are wired for healing and for resilience, but it doesn't happen like, you know, magically. It happens through conscious community and honest conversation. If you could, like, if you had time to talk to somebody else who was suffering from anxiety and depression, what would you say are the few things, the biggest aha moments for you that liberated you from maybe your own anxiety and depression? I would say to anyone listening who's having this experience or has someone that they love that's having this experience, is that the biggest lie that anxiety, depression, trauma, mental health issues tells us is that we're the only ones and to hide. Don't you know that somehow there should be an element of shame? And what I would say after doing so many years of outpatient clinical work, my fantasy would be like to get everybody together and be like, it's I'm that's exactly how I'm feeling. And maybe it's a different fill in the blank, but this is our shared humanity. It's not old school stigmatized mental health condition, it's human condition. Mm-hmm. So I think that discovery that it was okay not to be okay, but I didn't have to stay. I didn't have to be in hiding. And that was the thing, Julie, I was like, not the textbook version of anxiety and depression. I so in one of my worst episodes, it was my undergrad years. And I wrote for the school newspaper, I worked four jobs, I had loads of friends, I was hyperactive and like, 
just, I, you know, very outgoing. And yet there was a measure of suffering that people would have never known. I was the classic overfunctioner, the perfectionist, like it just wasn't clear to anyone on the outside. And what helped me turn was actually, I had a professor who, who kind of like saw through the facade and asked, and I was completely embarrassed. And then it made me reflect, like, why do I, you know, it's okay for me to get help. And I think when it comes back to microdosing bravery for anyone that's listening, and you're like, I don't know where to turn to. I don't know who to tell. If you have someone you trust, tell them. There are crisis hotlines galore. Like in the US, I think they just announced the 980 mental health crisis line. I think it replaced the suicide hotline. Okay. Um, or like is in conjunction with it. It's just like an easier path. Um, so we have a lot we can tap into. So I think the first step is finding a trusted person or place to go and say you're not okay. I think that's the beginning. And that was for me the beginning. And then it led, like speaking of purpose and impact, me going to therapy and going through my recovery process was so pivotal and discovering like how amazing that process can be. Mm-hmm. And that led to my life's work in this, in this whole vein. And so I think that just people knowing that it's human to struggle. Um, if we look at the data right now, like um, just taking it back around social comparison and perfectionism, over the last 10 years, we've seen perfectionism skyrocket by 33%. And we've seen the driving force be social comparison. And social anxiety disorders before the pandemic were already very escalated. And I think about a a lot now, this reintegration of society, the world has changed so dramatically. Everything's new. It's it's very provocative to kind of come back into space with people and reimagine ourselves and, and not be triggered. And so microdosing bravery offers one of the most important essential components of um, exposure therapy. It's one of the most um, evidence-based treatments for anxiety, which is getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. I recommend doing it with a therapist, but it's that like exposure and you feel kind of provoked and you step back and you like realize you're okay and then you build momentum. And so that for me, it wasn't like I just had this like, you know, massive moment. I was like, I'm free and I'm fine. (laughs) It was like backbreaking work but like the first piece was so important to know I wasn't like I'm I'm, you know a failure um that I, I wasn't here to perform for everybody right you know we're not here to perform and like at the end of the day I think it's better to risk looking foolish than to like forego feeling good yeah yeah Let's link, let's go back to a couple of things that you said when you were talking about your anxiety in undergrad and what did that, what did anxiety look like to you or feel like to you? So it felt like I had to hyper perform and like, it was like a horrendous proposition to think that I could let anyone down or that someone wouldn't like me. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of panic attacks. And I think the key thing too, I would say this, never underestimate the power of emotional regulation through lifestyle medicine. So that's just a fancy way of saying, 
like I wasn't sleeping great at that time. And I wasn't necessarily, I was overworking and, and all those things and not really grounded in a lot of the practices that I've discovered now um, in my life and in my work that keep me anchored. So it was that like haunting feeling of not being enough. Um, it was like anxiety attacks. It was um, total emotional dysregulation. What do you mean? Like high, like highs and lows, like just not feeling steady, not feeling okay, um, not feeling, you know, like in control, so to speak, but wanting to be in control. Mm-hmm. So, and again, a lot of it was just hidden. And I think that um, I had gone through a trauma before my undergrad years and, I, years, and I don't think that I properly, I know I didn't deal with that until I went to therapy and I was able to like put those pieces together. And even some of the messaging of my family of origin and community of origin, like I think just it was easy for me to take the bait and feel like I had to like be the perfect person, allegedly, right? This is like the biggest aha moment because I've never heard anybody relate anxiety to feeling like the over the need for overworking or not being enough or the highs and lows and the not feeling in control but wanting to be in control. So how did you step out of that and what does life feel like or how is it different from before? I think it's still a little bit of a circus. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, and what I'll say about that is that I stepped out over time by learning, I think, one of the hardest things in life to learn, which is to ask for help. Again, I think so many of your audience is likely to be healers and folks who really want to elevate the human condition and really like break through things and, and then use that in the world in a positive way. And I think, um, you know, again, there was just so much hindering me from like, just, I felt like I had to like, you know, just perform for other people or be a certain way. So I think going to therapy and unlearning a lot of that. um, And then I think now I really have, you know, again, many anchoring practices in my life um, that nourish me. And I think among the most important are the relationships we choose, you know, that we have relationships with reciprocity, you know, we have each other's backs, we hold space, we see each other and all of our duality and embrace that and encourage um, and not compete or cut down. Um, so I think that those who I surround myself with, and then I will say like specifically for practices, writing is very sacred to me. Um, I see it as such a spiritual practice. And then related to that is my comedy and my performing that I do. Um, those were added things through the past years that have really just like, they're kind of non-traditional, I think, especially the comedy, but I see it as a spiritual practice in my life. So you would do improv? No, I started with some improv training, but I do stand-up comedy. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Because that's so funny. Now, how has that like added value to your life because we have an improv comedy club in our like downtown little town square, whatever it is. And um, every time I pass it, it always says, come just like try improv. And I always feel this heart calling, but I'm like, oh, okay, I don't have enough time. How has this added value to your life? It's, it's everything. And I'll say like from day one, my whole life, I've always valued humor. I've always been quirky. I've never necessarily fit in or wanted to fit in. So I've always been like a bit of a ham, I guess. And I've always, I think too, like 
with humor, you're critically thinking about society and you're kind of blowing the whistle on and saying like, this is ridiculous. So specifically with anxiety as a point of healing, it's like, oh, of course, like my stomach's in knots right now. Or like, or of course, like this, this wild thing happens. And it's like, if you can, the sooner you can laugh about something, you get a flat tire, like the sooner you can laugh. I think the sooner you can laugh has been such a mantra for me. And then, you know, um, I was going through a very difficult period. And um, maybe some of your listeners know Kripalu. It's a beautiful yoga and retreat center in Western Massachusetts. And a friend of mine asked me to go. We always do like the mindfulness sessions and the meta, like we're all into it. We're all in. And then I saw that there was an improv um, workshop. And I'm like, it was the only one of its kind. It was with Katie Goodman, amazing improv New York comedian. And I'm like, let's do this. And then it was, it, but it was so deep. Like you'd think, oh, this is just like a lot of hoopla. But she drew the lines between improv skills and life skills in such a beautiful way. And then that's when I really like went all in. And then I got some training in stand-up, started to perform. Of course, the pandemic happened. So it was like, just not the greatest. Um, but a year ago, I launched a live show in Boston called Cracking Up with Dr. Chris, where therapy meets comedy. And remember too, Julie, for 20 years, I've been giving talks. I've given mental health talks, resilience talks for schools and companies around the world. I've always used humor. with a, It's like a serious message with humor. Now I flip my model and it's humor, but with we, we actually raise money for uh, mental health nonprofits. So it's a very community endeavor. And like, basically, you know, most of my comedy, I talk about human issues, but I talk about my own lived experience with anxiety. You know, I'm like... My therapist told me I have clinically significant anxiety, which made me feel kind of special. You know, it's just like riffing on all the pieces. And it's very therapeutic for me as an artist, but I hope also for those who, you know, are part of the whole thing too. That's amazing. And just to clarify for my audience, I don't think that I want to go into comedy. I don't think I would be like a good comedian. (laughs) I would just do it to um, kind of break free of, and this is going to sound stupid to people because I've got the podcast and it's hard for me to get on stage in front of a lot of people. Like it's easy to do podcasts because I don't think about thousands of people listening to it. I just am here with you having this one-on-one beautiful conversation that other people get to listen to. But then you put me on stage in front of a lot of people and I totally clam up. So I'm trying to work that out a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I love, they're going to be like, Juliet improv. Yay. But yeah. you know, I, I think the thing is though, it's this, it's the actual, like the skills that come with it. So it's like loosening it up and just like, it's the quick agile thinking. And so even like a lot of corporations are interested in these applications. And I, and I even like wrote a professional development for social workers on integrating humor into practice. So it's really about integrating humor into our lives as a protective factor. And then like these different skills, like improv, one of the most noteworthy is the yes and, yes. you know, so it's in our relationships rather than just being like closed off and shut down. It's like, how do we add, contribute and co-inspire one another? And like for stand-up to me, I mean, there's, stand-up's an interesting world because there's so much that's controversial and like, you know, all that. Um, But also, it really does help us take a step back and look at issues in the world, whether racism, classism, sexism, heterosexism, ageism, ableism, 
it can, it can have like such a teaching value. And so that's what I'm obsessed with and why I say I take humor seriously because it really can elevate us and call us to different levels of awareness. Yeah. And it's fun. Like, I think we almost have to explain like having fun. And I think for me too, like my work is so serious. It's, It's rigorous. It's intense. There's a level of acuity in the world right now. I don't want to minimize or oversimplify that for anyone listening. The, the level of acuity is just, it's, it's heart-wrenching. Do so I get... need everybody what acuity is. Yeah. So it's just the level of magnitude or intensity of suffering. So let's say, for example, you are a person who had anxiety pre-pandemic. And now we've gone through all this trauma marination, all the events, the ongoing anxiety, it's just a lot. So, and, you know, say like before you're at like a four, acuity means you can be like at an eight now. And we see this level of deep suffering worldwide. Economies are collapsing. You know, we look at what's happening in Sri Lanka right now. Many nations, everything has collapsed. And here in the US, there's so much to grapple with. And so I think that um, it just is creating a level of distress that bears our collective attention. It really causes us to say, what are the many creative ways we can discover that life of meaning? And what are the risks that are worth taking that can help us not live in a place of fear that we just you know, want to kind of like, I would say like, it would be completely acceptable if all of us were in fetal position all day, like texting our therapists, like with Costco supply tissues, like that yeah. is okay. But also, like, there are ways we can maneuver through and, like, get ourselves back into a place of connection and functioning. So for anyone listening that feels like that's insurmountable, it would be if you try to tackle it all in one day. But if you tackle it by this chip, you know, chip away approach, slowly but surely, you will find your path towards healing. That's incredible. Dr. Chris, I want everybody to know your book is called Worth the Risk, and we'll put in the show notes below um, where they can find that and purchase that. As I read it, I had this vision kind of going back in my life where I realized that that's how and what got me to where I am today is taking those micro mini steps of bravery. Because even when um, I was learning how to do this work, uh, I come from a very Christian household and I was so nervous to tell my mom that I was doing this work or hearing from the other side that, uh, I just told her I was doing Reiki, right? I was just energy healer. And even with that, she would call like every month on the dot and say, so I'm going to heaven and I want you to go to heaven too. And I don't think that you should be doing this. Um, From that to even it was a year until I told my husband and just taking one step at a time, one class at a time to get my certification. And then just taking that step to get your business. And um, it took me eight months to have the courage to to um, put up the first podcast episode. You know what I mean? And so I really feel like I had this beautiful aha moment as I was reading your book that 
microdosing bravery has been my entire life of one baby step, keeping myself in safety and security while taking, you know, a little step forward has made me feel safe as mm. I'm evolving. That is so beautiful. And it, I'm, I have goosebumps. I'm just so touched. And I, I also came from a, a, a family of origin where there was, it was very precise and strict, like the laws of behavior and what would, so I, that's something that resonates for me and many that I've, that I've taught and served across the world, this common human element of like, you're breaking the mold and you're like taking a different path. And you talked earlier about like coming into your gifts in such a beautiful way. But like you said, it took that much time to like drop that first episode or like tell the people you're close with. And then even like, um, I would, I would say, and you know, the first session of the book, I call my chapter session is you are not your fear. And it's all about family of origin stuff and being the architect of your own experience. And I share in there a story of a close friend of mine who was actually raised in the Jehovah Witness tradition. And she had to break away like entirely. And she was actually ultimately like, I don't want to like oversimplify this kind of stuff because it can be very painful. Um, but she came out of it and it took her years to break away and to forge her own identity and her own life and not without a lot of trauma and peril. And so for anyone out there, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about liberation, but that it's not glamorous. It doesn't happen flip of switch or snap of finger. Um, so I really applaud you, Julie, like, because it's, you know, that is the beauty. Like we talked about, well, maybe happiness isn't always like a thing, but meaning and like standing strong in your gifts and your strengths and your talents and your identity and your contribution in the world. That's everything. No one can take that away. And again, like what, what I think is so lovely is how you doing that and you showing that and you explaining it even more explicitly today that is going to like strike someone else's mind's eye. Like, okay, I don't have to be like, you know, this like Mufasa like courage when I feel like a cowardly lion, yeah. but like I could do one tiny thing, one tiny thing, yeah. you know? And I know for myself, like, um, you know, in the book I talk, there's two things I've come out with very publicly. One is my own mental health story. And one, the other is my queer identity. And I remember like with that, I didn't tell everybody like with my queer identity, it wasn't safe. Speaking of safety, it wouldn't have been safe because I was just, there was a lot going on for me. But I told like other queer friends first, people that I knew would like completely, like the first person I told um, was trans and they were like so gentle and like kind of funny and irreverent too. And it like was so healing for me to like, like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Like, yeah. you're fine and you're beautiful and like all that. So I just feel like for anybody that again, might be hiding parts of their identities in any form, um, or you might have question those frameworks you came from. It's hard to get unhooked from that. You can face a lot of penalty, but you also are liberating yourself and those that you influence. And that is what we're here for. That's amazing. Dr. Chris, I feel like I could talk to you for forever. I love you and everything you're saying. I'm like, oh my gosh, like such a similar experience with so yes. many 
things. And your book, Worth the Risk, is just amazing. Thank you for birthing that into the world. And thank you for taking time to be on the show today. What an honor and what a joy. Thank you so much, Julie. You too. Beautiful soul, thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Julie. You know I'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. If you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are around you right now, who's connecting with you, and what messages they have for you, go to theangelmedium.com. Register for a session. You can do a reading with me or a member of my team. We're all incredible. We all talk to angels daily, and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the very best they can to support you and guide you to your best life. If this sounds like you, virtual sessions, they're only offered on my website. Sign up today. And if you're the person who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing all of your unique spiritual gifts, growing your intuition, starting your own healing business, you can sign up for my Angel Reiki School to become a certified angel messenger. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. You'll learn Reiki, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and how to get clients. That's the Angel Reiki School at theangelmedium.com or DM me on Instagram at angelpodcast with any questions. Before you go, connect with your angels by placing your hands on your heart. Take a deep breath. Imagine a doorway filled with God's unconditional love is right in front of you. Step into that love and feel it as it fills your body, chakras, and auric field. Now ask your angels, what would you have me know today? And open yourself to the positive, loving messages they have just for you.